the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Acts, God keeps his promise to protect Paul, who then enjoys a year and a half of very fruitful ministry time in the city of Corinth. We'll pick it up in Acts chapter 18, verse 17. Once again, that's Acts chapter 18, Verse 17. It says in the Greeks, and that's a reference there to the Gentiles there, they realize Galileo is just, he's had it with these guys. And so they take this guy, the chief ruler of the synagogue, and it says they beat him right there in front of the judgment seat. And Galileo cared for none of these things. It's a Greek idiom that means he, he looked the other way with a blind eye. He pretended like it wasn't even happening. It would be wrong, it's wrong as a Christian to rejoice in the demise of another, even a wicked man. But talk about God turning the tables. Paul doesn't get the beating this time. This was the least expected outcome for Paul and the Lord takes care of him. God keeps his promise. God knows how to protect the righteous. Do you know that? He knows how to protect the righteous. God's not scrambling, you know, and figuring how are we going to deal with the, with the, you know, what the Supreme Court is saying and, and how are we going to deal with, you know, all these different trials that are coming our way. God knows how to deliver the righteous and protect us. And so it also means if he's allowed pain or difficulty in your life, he has his reasons, doesn't he? He has his reasons. Well, this guy Sosthenes is kind of an interesting character. We're going to meet him sometime in the next seven years when we get to 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> it's a very uncommon Greek name, and he's mentioned as a brother in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. So it would appear he got saved at a latter time. And that may be a reminder to us, don't ever give up on the hard-hearted. Don't ever give up on the hard-hearted. You never know what God might be doing. Verse 18 Paul, after this, he tarried a, there yet a good while. The word there is actually the Greek word for days. So he stayed there for a few more days, so not too long. And then he took his leave of the brothers, and he sailed from there into Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Centria, for he had a vow. 
So he stays there for a few more days, maybe a week or so, and then he starts heading towards Syria. And Assyria was the Roman province where Antioch, his home church, is located. So this means that Paul is about to bring his second missionary trip to an end. He's heading back home. Now, he doesn't go home alone because we find later on that Timothy and Aquila and Priscilla as well. But what's interesting is we don't see Silas going back with him. Now, remember, that's who started the trip. Just like Paul and Barnabas went out the first time, Paul and Silas went out the second time, but Silas actually does not return home. In fact, we will never see Silas again in Acts. Now, we know from 1 Peter that he eventually makes his way to Rome, where he teams up with Peter at the church there. I think that's interesting because sometimes God does show us a change of plans in the middle of our current mission. The fact that I'm here is a change of plans from what I ever expected that God would have in my life. I always thought I would die in the church I planted. That's what I thought. I never thought God would do anything different. I remember about a year ago before Pastor Gibb announced his retirement that I, I remember I said to Bev, I said, you know, I I just don't understand how these people move around all the time. I said, you know, you 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 need to kind of grow where you're planted, you know, and, you know, and, and she said, well, you think God never calls someone somewhere different? I guess, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, Sometimes God does change his plans. Well, that, that must mean that he's not, you know, that he, that he didn't mean what he said. No, 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 no. You, you need to understand the Lord, okay? <clears throat> Sometimes the Lord moves us out of our zone, out of the place where we're very comfortable, where, where we, 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 everything seems to fit, you know, and we would never normally move under any other situation. And so the Lord says, you know, I'm going to kind of stir the nest up a bit to get you out. And so he might grab our attention with something over here and we go, ooh, okay, that's what I'm supposed to do. And then we kind of get over there and he's like, oh, now that you're out of the nest, you know, I'd like to move you over here. And so the Lord, he, what does it say? The steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. It doesn't say where those steps go. Sometimes they go a different direction. And so Silas stays and Paul heads home. And he mentions here that when he got to Centria, uh, Corinth doesn't have a port on the east side of that, that Achaia area. So those heading east would, would leave from Centria. So, so he comes to Centria there, and it mentions when he gets there, he takes some time to shave his head because he had made a promise to God. Now, it's very common for Jews in that day to make private vows to God because of some special mercy he'd showed to them or some special commitment they were making to him for a period of time. The most notable one, of course, we see in the scriptures is the Nazarite vow, right? And, and they would make a, a, a vow to God and for a period of time. They would serve him. And so they would let their hair grow and they would have a few other things they would abide by. And then at the end of that vow, they would go to the temple and their head would be shaved and then they'd actually take the hair and put it on the altar. And the idea was, is that time, that period of commitment, Lord, that was for you. And so they'd burn the hair on the altar and then, you know, he'd grow his hair out again. And so what's interesting is this cannot be a Nazarite vow because your head had to be shaved at the tabernacle or the temple. So it's, this is likely just something very private between Paul and God, maybe in thankfulness for the blessing God had given to him in Corinth, the favor God had shown him there. I don't know. Maybe he had made a commitment to see it through to the end. Maybe that's why. And so now that he's left Corinth, he's going to shave his head. I, I'm not sure why Paul did it. When we get to heaven, we can ask him. But some of you might be kind of sitting there and going, wait a second, Will, time out. You can't just kind of say that and then go on. I thought we're not under the law anymore. Why would Paul take a ceremonial vow? That answer is actually not too complicated. He's Jewish. 
for him, all these vows and rituals had very deep meaning to them. We're going to see in a moment that he's not going to stay long in Ephesus because he wants to get to the Passover feast. Does he have to go to the Passover feast? No. Did he celebrate the Passover feast all the time? No, he didn't. But it's, he was a Jew. It was something that had deep meaning to him. He saw Christ all over these things. And so in his mind, they had deep meaning. And he didn't have to take a vow, but it was part of how he related to God culturally. I mean, what if all of a sudden I just started praying all the time with my eyes open? You'd probably be like, that's a little weird, Will. Now, is there anything wrong with praying with your eyes open? No, biblically not. But our culture tends to say, bow your head, fold your hands, close your eyes. So it has meaning for us because we tend to think I'm focused. I'm, I'm really just want to zero in on God. I want to be reverent, you know? And we would normally think of someone getting up there with their eyes open praying. That's not very reverent. Is it not? No. But culturally, it, those physical actions tend to have meaning for us. And in the same way, shaving his head and taking a vow had meaning for Paul. So you don't need to make vows and shave your head. Verse 19, and he came to Ephesus. And, and Ephesus is the closest major port city right there on the, the province of Asia. It's the capital of the province of Asia. Remember, he had tried to go there earlier, but God had forbidden him. Remember, he, can't, he tried to go that way. God said no. He tried to go further east, northeast, and God said no, and eventually ended up in Europe. And so at this point in time, the Lord does open the door. And so he gets to come here into Ephesus and he ministers in Ephesus. He came to Ephesus and it mentions that he left Aquila and Priscilla there. So they don't come all the way back to Antioch with him. But he himself entered into the synagogue and he reasoned with the Jews, just like he normally did. And when they desired him to tarry longer time with them, he consented not. But he bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that comes in Jerusalem, but I will return again unto you if God will. And so he sailed from Ephesus. It was the winter of 53 AD at this time, so the closest feast is Passover. That's what he's heading forward to. And like I said, the early Christians didn't feel the need to be at every feast. Paul missed quite a few on this three-year trip. He was never in Jerusalem during that time. But it was a part of their heritage. And Paul, you know, he saw Jesus as fulfilling the Passover feast, that he's our Passover lamb. He'll say that later on in one of his letters. And so for him, it was a time of great worship. Um, no Christian should ever feel pressure to keep the Jewish feasts. Paul's own words are very clear in Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. He says, let no man therefore judge you in food or in drink or in respect of a holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So if you want to do that because it has meaning to you, go for it. But don't feel pressure to, or you're more Christian or, or more close to God if you do do those things because we're close to God on what basis? The substance, right? Christ and what he did for us on the cross. Well, they want him to stay longer. Again, God grants him favor here as well. In fact, we are entering into really the golden period of, of Paul's ministry, a time where God gave him great fruitfulness. And, and so in this, they want to hear more. We want to hear more about this Jesus you're telling us about. And Paul says, I can't, I got to keep this feast, but I will return again to you if God wills. And I love Paul's mindset here. He says, I want to come spend more time with you, but in the end, whatever God wants, that's what I really want. Well, God did want Paul to return, and he'll end up spending three years ministering in this amazing city. Three years where he can just disciple them and build that church. And we'll get to that in chapters 19 and 20. Verse 22, and when he had landed at Caesarea, that's right there on the uh, 
coast of Israel. And he had gone up, that's to Jerusalem. And you always go up to Jerusalem. Anytime you're leaving Jerusalem, you're going down. He'd gone up, celebrated the feast is what's in there. And then he saluted the church there at Jerusalem. From there, he went down to Antioch, even though Antioch is north, you're going down in elevation. And anytime you leave Jerusalem, the Jewish mindset was you're going down. That's the place you want to be. And after he had spent some time there at Antioch, his home church, he departed and went over all the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. So he stays in Antioch for about three quarters of a year. And there's no mention of him getting back to, into teaching or evangelism at Antioch like his previous return. In fact, uh, Paul was back on the move quickly and he visits those same churches that he and Barnabas had planted years ago in the eastern half of modern day Turkey. And so he goes there and it says he strengthens all the disciples. You know, the word there means to cause someone to become stronger or firmer in their beliefs. You know, this is why we place such emphasis on Bible teaching in our services. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, you can write it down now and look it up later. But in that chapter, it explains the purpose of pastors and evangelists. It, it describes why we gather together. And it's for the purpose and the goal of being mature and complete until we're to the point where we're just like Jesus. Anybody just like Jesus yet? And you got to come to church still, you know? got to come to church. I heard it all. Good, but you're not like Jesus yet, so keep coming. Apparently it hasn't all sunk in. So, but we need to be taught God's word. We need to be strengthened. I need to be strengthened. I'm constantly listening to teaching so I can be strengthened in my faith so we can be more like Jesus. That's why we place such emphasis on it here. Verse 24, we leave Paul now momentarily because he's headed to Ephesus next. And when we get there, according to chapter 19, he finds there's a group of believers already meeting. And so the the immediate thought that should come into our mind is, how did that happen? He didn't stay long enough to start, start a church. And so these verses at the end of 18 explain how that came about. It says, now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. Alexander the Great, he had placed a colony of Jews in the city of Alexandria when he founded it in 332 BC. That's there on the, what we would call the Mediterranean coast of modern day Egypt. Um, the Jews that were placed there, that colony, they flourished and making up almost one third of the population at this time. It was currently the second most important city in the Roman Empire with one of the largest libraries in the world that had over 700,000 volumes in it and a great university, the Jewish Alexandrian philosophy developed here. You may have heard of the famous philosopher Philo. You know, If you go into a Christian bookstore, you'll usually find one of his books there. He was probably the most famous proponent of this Alexandrian philosophy. But based on Luke's description of Apollos, we're going to get in a second, it, it seems like he was a student of that kind of thinking. But it mentions here that he was an eloquent man. Now that can mean two things. It could mean one who has thought much and has much to say, or one who can say it well. And in this case, from what we see about Apollos, it seems they probably was both. He was a learned and gifted speaker, but he also had something important to say because he had another skill set. It mentions in, uh, that he was mighty in the scriptures. The word there means to be competent or an expert. He knew his Bible. This guy knew his Bible. And so it says in verse 25 that this man was instructed in the way of the Lord. He'd been taught well. And the way of the Lord, of course, is the way of Christ. In fact, that was the first name for the church was the way. 
And so he'd been instructed in the teachings of the Messiah, the teachings of Jesus, and being fervent in the spirit. This guy was, he wasn't just an eloquent speaker, but man, he had a fire in his bones. The word there means to boil in one spirit. You know, he was, he was like, you know, when he's teaching, he's popping out of his, popping out of the pulpit. He could not contain himself. He was very enthusiastic. And so, you know, he was fervent in spirit. And it says he spoke and he taught diligently. The word there means accurately, implying great care and hard work in the things of the Lord. So, there is a way to inaccurately teach about God's principles. There is a way to do that. In 2 Timothy 2.15, Paul exhorts Timothy, it says, study to show yourself approved. A workman that doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Every once in a blue moon, Bev will ask me to cut the kids' food. My idea of what they can chew and swallow is a little bit different than hers. So, you know, you kind of get the stink eye as you're cutting up because I'm thinking, I want to eat. My food's getting cold. Johnny can handle this, but to cut it up in a way that is able to be properly swallowed and digested and that the body can assimilate it. That is what the job of a Bible teacher is. We must correctly cut up the scriptures so we can accurately share them with the congregation. How is that done? Hard work. Paul described elders as those who labor in the word. That word labor means to grow weary through toil, to work until one is exhausted. There is no room for laziness for any Bible teacher. No room. Now, Apollos was a hard worker, but he was enthusiastic for an incomplete message. For it says here, he knew only the baptism of John. Now, what was John the Baptist's message? It was to call the Jewish people to repent and prepare their heart for the coming of the Messiah. Now, Apollos probably knew who Jesus was, probably knew he was the Messiah, but he didn't understand all the ramifications of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. And he certainly didn't understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So when Aquila and Priscilla hear him teach, They ask him if they can have a chat privately. Verse 26. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, fearlessly, whom, when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them. They privately took him aside and they expounded or explained unto him the way of God more accurately. More accurately. Now, notice that Aquila and Priscilla didn't go home and you know, Priscilla wasn't in the passenger seat of her car and getting on Facebook and going, I can't believe the heresy this pastor taught today. They didn't rebuke him or call him a heretic on Twitter. There's a time to expose false teachers after the proper channels have been exhausted. And even then, it should always be done with the heart of seeing them repent. So instead, they pull them aside privately and they teach them accurately, more accurately what the scriptures have to say. They didn't abuse him for his ignorance. They gave him the fuller story so he could accurately continue to share that enthusiastic message about the Lord. And I'm so glad for the Aquilas and Priscillas in my own life who have come and said, hey, well, we should talk. You know, you said this in conversation. We should talk about that. The Bible says this, you know, and the Bible says this. What do you think? How do you think that lines up with what you've been saying? Oh, I need to fix that. And what makes Apollos a truly special man is that he let them do that to him. We all need men and women of God who have walked with him more intimately to speak into our lives. I know Apollos, he, is a, he had the best education in the world. He was an expert in the Bible and he had all the gifts that a preacher could hope for. 
but he still needed others to speak into his life. And I ask you this morning, do you have others who can speak into your life? Do you let others speak into your life? Or do you ignore what other believers say if they don't have your education or your gifting? Some of the most profound moments I've ever had is hanging out with a new believer and they'll say something and I just go, huh, never quite thought of it that way. That's really cool. And it sets my heart on fire once again for him. Proverbs nineteen twenty. it says this, hear counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter end. I want to keep becoming wiser. I want to keep growing in my walk with the Lord. And so encouraged by their help, Paulus' next plan is to go actually where Paul had just left, Corinth, verse 27. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brothers wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. They gave him a letter of recommendation, who when he was come, came to Corinth, and he helped them much which had believed through grace. So all the Christians there, he totally encouraged them in their faith and strengthened their faith. But also, verse 28, he mightily convinced the Jews, and that publicly, showing by the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. And so not only did he have a, a, a huge impact on the church that was already there, but he was reaching some of the people, maybe even Sosthenes, reached some of the people that Paul didn't reach. And so what a powerful way to follow up the Apostle Paul's ministry there. Unfortunately, the enemy used that beautiful letter of recommendation to bring division in Corinth. See, Apollos' gift for speaking made some in Corinth prefer him over Paul. They thought, man, Paul, that dude's dry. I mean, he's like, you know, he's quiet and he's dry. He's not fiery. Man, I, I leave and I just, you know, I, I feel Jesus when Apollos teaches. And so they started to divide multiple factions within the church who claimed superiority over each other. I'm of Paul. I'm of Cephas, Peter, the legalistic crowd. Or I'm, the, I'm of Apollos. Paul the Apostle called him carnal. In 1 Corinthians 3, 5, he said, who then is Paul and who is Apollos but ministers by whom you believed even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted and Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Guys, we're not in competition with each other. We're not in competition with each other. We're on the same team and the right thing to do is to embrace those who are speaking the truths of God's word from all different personality types, all different giftings, rather than magnify one over the other. See, that's what the world does, doesn't it? Oh, that, no, he's got it going on. That guy, you know, he's, he's impactful. Let it never be so with us. Let it be said of us. And as Paul said, therefore, in 1 Corinthians 3, 21 through 23, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, that's Peter, or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. It's all yours. It's all for you. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. It all goes back to Jesus, right? Let's keep it there. You know, in workshops for writers, I've been to a lot of them, he said, the best way to draw a cloud is light yourself on fire. And then you increase your tribes, the people that you can sell your books to. Do something that gets people's attention. But as Christians, I wonder if we're lighting the wrong fire sometimes. Look at the fire that Aquila and Priscilla ignited in Paulus by pulling him aside privately. Look at how his light shined brighter through that. I'd ask you, what kind of fire are you starting? 
Are they pleasing to the Lord or is it just a bad testimony to the world? Let's be a good testimony to the world, amen? Lord, I know it's difficult. You see that crazy thing that somebody says and you want to correct it, you want to fix it, you want to make sure that people aren't going to get deceived or think the wrong way about what the Bible has to say. And and then, Lord, we just end up kind of missing the point. Lord, help us to exercise meekness like your son did, that strength under control. Lord, a heart filled with love that causes us to portray you correctly, Lord. You know, I I think of that your servant Paul said that we need to persevere after having done well, we might inherit the blessing. And Lord, sometimes we're doing the right things and even the things we're saying are right, but we've not persevered. We've kind of reacted and we've riled ourselves up to the point of frustration and we, we may be right in what we're saying, but we're also wrong in the place or how we're doing it. And Lord, we want to be different, Lord. I don't want to just live a life that is not impactful, Lord, that the world, just my neighbors and, and the people that are right around us right here in this, at this building, Lord, that they just kind of go, there's just another church. We want to change lives. God, would you just please pour your spirit into us that we would be so different, that the fruit that people find in our tree would truly be the fruit of your spirit and not the nastiness of our flesh. God, would you fill us to overflowing that it would spill out and touch others that they would want what we have. Lord, help us to start by loving one another, remembering that we're on the same team to build each other up or not tear each other down. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407 523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.